0: hey out there rock and rollers welcome to the 157th edition of the ugly american werewolf in london rock podcast brought to you by me your host mac B, the wolf and i will be joined as always by my partner in crime from the east coast of the united states of america gary action jackson and we hope that you enjoyed our show, last week's show, with Oliver Wakeman talking about his relationship with John Wetton. If you know this show at all, you know that we are big Asia fans, that we love John Wetton's voice, that he plays an outsized role in our lives and our relationship, and to be able to talk to someone who knew John personally. Who also kind of worshiped him the way we did as fans, but then grew up to become his contemporary and his friend and got to tour with John, he shared some great stories about John, and that was a fantastic episode for us. He also had some great stories about Chris Squire and just being in yes over the years and so I hope that you have an opportunity if you haven't already to check out that interview because that was a lot of fun for us. Oliver was very generous with his time and his spirit but this week We're back to reviewing classic albums as they hit some big milestones. And this week, we're talking about one that is turning 50 in December of 2023. That's right, released in December of 1973, when Jax and I were wee little children. And that's Paul McCartney's Band on the Run, which features the title track that everybody knows and loves, and also the big single Jet. But there's some other songs on there that you may be familiar with thanks to American rock radio, and maybe you didn't know the names, like Mrs. Vanderbilt or 1985. Some great songs on here, and it's amazing that it's turning 50. And in doing research, it was interesting to find that Paul was actually not the beloved superstar that we all know today. That, in fact, he was going through a little bit of turmoil in his own right, partly between what was going on business-wise between himself and the rest of the former Beatles, partly out of a single that he'd released about criticizing the English about what was going on in Ireland, which they just called the Troubles at that time. And the fact that his first couple albums with Wings really didn't hit on the rock register. Yeah, they sold well. I think they did much better in America than they did in the UK. But not everyone was totally enamored of Paul at this time. The Bloom was a little bit off the Rose, or at least off the Red Rose Speedway at this time. And I feel like the Band on the Run album really helped to re-solidify his status as a rock god. Get him back a little bit of credibility with the critics And allow the band wings to kind of continue throughout the rest of the 70s. So as we always do, we're going to dive in and go track by track. And give you a little bit more background about what was happening with Paul at the time. First, we need to get into a little bit of business here. As always, we like to say that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. A family of about 100 different shows. Many different genres. Really is something in there for everyone. Please check out PantheonPodcast.com or follow them at PantheonPods. And we have to give a shout out to our sponsor, rarevinyl.com. Based in the UK, guys, they ship all over the world. It's holiday time. You've got to find something special for that special someone, maybe for your best buddy. But you also need to find something special for you. If you're like me, you need to go out and buy something that you want. And then you can hand it to your loved ones, your partner, your wife, your children and say, here, honey, you could put this to me from you and I'll be super excited to get it. So go to rarevinyl.com and use the code UGLY. You can save yourself 10% off your orders. It's a one-time code, so don't just buy one record. Buy all your holiday records at rarevinyl.com, then use code UGLY, and you can save a lot of money. Maybe get all the shipping knocked off, and they'll ship all around the world. For folks in the UK, you've got a little bit more of a window. but folks in the US and other places, you need to get on it Go to rarevinyl.com and use code UGLY and get that stuff shipped to you before the holidays. And speaking of holiday deals, we do have a store, the Ugly American Werewolf in London store. You can find it on our Twitter page or X page, if you will. It's at ugly underscore werewolf. Click on that link and you can use code 10, the number 10 off 2023. It'll save you 10% off your orders from our store. So you want a wolf t-shirt, long sleeve, short sleeve for men, for women, for women. The new logo, the old logo, or maybe a mug, our thermoses are selling very well. It's a very hot item this holiday season, and you can get a 10% discount. Just use the code 10OFF2023 and save yourself 10%. Get yourself a little something. It really does help us in a big way, probably even more than leaving a five-star review someplace does. So We do appreciate it. For all folks who want to help the show, that's a great way to do it. Now, back to Paul McCartney and Band on the Run. Yeah, he was trying to hold the band together at this time. He would had some defections. He's also traveling all over the world. He's recording in Nigeria. He's recording in America. He's recording in England. He's going to the islands, Jamaica, to write songs. The McCartneys live a pretty fabulous life. And so Paul ends up playing most every instrument on this album. It's really he and Linda and Denny Lane, and that's it on the album, which makes it even more impressive. There's really just the three of them making all this great music, and he should feel proud about this, because I think he was taking a lot of heat in the press, and then after this comes out, he gets back to being the most beloved of the Beatles, at least in my opinion. So we're going to go ahead and dive in. We're celebrating Paul McCarty and Wing's Band on the Run as it turns 50. Here on The Wolf. Well, a couple surprises I feel like popped up on me on this week's show. Jackson? Okay. Of course, we have never reviewed a Beatles album before on the show. Correct. We're not huge Beatles fans, you and I. It's not like we dislike them. It's not just like, you know, oh, everything they did was so magical, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> But it is kind of the bedrock kind of the abc's of the stuff that we really do like mm-hmm. we did do the beatles get back documentary we did a walkthrough on that with our buddy neil because he's from liverpool mm-hmm. so this would be the first album we've ever done by a former Beatle. and you kind of just think you know the beatles are universally loved everyone's always loved them you know that kind of thing and life has always been good once they were out of the beatles mm-hmm. but it just turns out that at this time that wasn't necessarily the case for Correct. paul mccartney uh, and you know his surroundings and so yeah it was it was just interesting to be able to cuz obviously when this came out we were like not even 1 year old
1: <laughs> so,
0: so so we didn't you know but we've gotten to know the music thanks to classic rock radio a lot of these songs are at least somewhat familiar to us but what was more interesting to me was learning The story about Paul being solo out of the Beatles, forming wings, and then kind of what was going on in the press and in Beatle business and in their relationships at the time.
2: Yeah, I was I was kind of in the same boat. I just figured he left the Beatles and said, hey, I was here. I'm over here now. Everybody came running and the train just kept rolling exactly the way it was. And that apparently was not the case. And it could have been a backlash maybe people were upset about the beatles and there probably was a lot of that i mean nobody everybody was still alive at that point in time so there was no reason the band couldn't go on so that could have been a big backlash i also found it interesting that we we um did the traveling wilburys a couple episodes ago Mm -hmm. and it was there was that concept of george being more happy in a band and it kind of sounds like mccartney's in the same boat too he made at least one solo record quote-unquote right and then he put together wings Mm -hmm. and then went from there but yeah, right before this he was on some tour where he basically just got a bus and a van and drove around with the kids and played universities or something like just showed up and played shows right yeah so definitely not the story as
0: i thought about it in my head yeah yeah and in get back We saw that they're talking about, eh, maybe we should get Alan Klein to be our, you know, to be our manager, right? He's managing (laughs) the Stones, doing a pretty good job for them, at least. So they thought, then the Stones famously fall out with Alan Klein. He was taking half their publishing royalties, so they fire him and then they set up their own rolling stones records with atlantic so that they get all the royalties they don't even share with mick taylor who's writing songs with them it just <laughs> kind of all goes to mick and keith and so there's some acrimony between the band members after they break up and there's a little spite in the press towards each other and some sniping and things like that and even it was it's funny because we grew up in the era of like NWA and gangster rap when we're like in high school and stuff, where there's something called a diss track where they they basically sing a song or they rap out about you know how they hate this person and how weak they are. And like, that's Mm -hmm. a diss track. And it sounds like the Beatles were kind of at the forefront of that kind of saying stuff about each other on, especially like maybe John and Paul Mm -hmm. on their solo albums. But what I didn't realize also is that Paul was taking a lot of heat in the press because I guess they felt like he was the one more than any who kind of spurred the whole breaking up of the Beatles, right? Oh. Okay. Because he he had done some solo stuff, I guess, you know, before the Beatles had totally broken up, it seemed like he was the one, certainly in the movie, who was the most creative force. Like, we're gonna do Mm -hmm. my concepts, we're gonna do my ideas. This is you coming, because John was fooling around with heroin and wasn't as creative as he once was. But it was like, yeah, the, the first McCartney album and the first couple Wings albums were can kind of considered light, fair mm-hmm. by the music press. Whereas Plastic Ono Band, a lot of people praise that as, well, that's a killer album. George's All Things Must Pass, a triple album, which comes out basically right after the Beatles break up, is fantastic because he had all these songs Paul and John wouldn't let him put on Beatles albums. Mm-hmm. So he has his great catalog. He has this huge album. It goes to number one, My Sweet lore goes to number one, so it's like, ah, oh, George was held back, he's a solid artist, you know, and of course John is the brooding one, he's gonna get the solid artist, and Paul, you know, singing happy love songs, you know, and they're like, yeah, he's light, he doesn't really count, so you got the Beatles sniping at each other, I think they're finally getting out from Alan Klein around this time, and Paul is in a little bit of a crisis of his own, because he's he's supposed to be this creative force, but... They're like, yeah, that's that easy listening adult contemporary stuff. That's not the rock and roll we're looking for, right? And and I think there's always that. See, I told
2: you, you know, it was Lennon McCartney all the time. And so now that you just have the one, you're right. He he's the light stuff. That the real the real meat and potatoes was John Lennon, right? That's what and they're saying. you can. <laughs> yeah, correct. You're Correct. That that's the perception anyway. Yeah. And I think the thing is too. And we we've kind of touched on this before on the show. Is like, you know, when people get famous and really famous they're looking for ways to cut your legs out from under you like in the press especially in england they are very harsh with celebrities there and i think this is kind of what they were looking for see i told you this guy can only write silly love songs
0: right right and plus he's got linda in the band even though she has no musical training or Mm -hmm. particular talent I don't think she's a bad singer, but uh, you know. Well, she was
2: never gonna. She was since since she was not a musician before. She was never gonna get a fair shake. Oh, well, you're only there because you're Paul's wife, and so that that I think that is unfair. I mean, I think at the beginning she didn't know what she was doing, but then kind of as years went by, she did put in the work to become to learn how to play and sing back up.
0: Right. Yeah. And a, a lot of tambourine time, you know, for sure. But yeah, sure. A couple of things on the piano and the keyboard. She can sit there and hold a note, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of backlash around Yoko always being with the Beatles. And then, you right, know, she sings on some. Well, I don't know if she sings. She screeches on some songs. And <laughs> she is like, featured. Oh my God, it's the worst thing in the whole world. I saw a video not long ago when Chuck Berry was playing with John Lennon and <laughs> the Plastic Ono Band, and Yoko's going there. Aah! I'm like, this is a joke, right? No, she was really going. Aah! It was yeah. horrible, and Chuck's and like, you can, what you the can fuck, see that Chuck fuck, is like, dude. yeah. What? Like, this sounded cool, because I get to play with John Lennon, but yeah. I don't know what this is. It's like, this white boy outsells me 100 to 1? 1. What in the hell, man? This makes no sense, right? So, so he's getting backlash for that. Plus, thanks to Bloody Sunday, he released a single called Give Ireland Back to the Irish. Well, you don't go against the British government. Certainly not if you're some artist, you know, who's probably cheating taxes by spending so much time out of the country something like, they don't want to hear that from you now it's probably like look at him standing up for the irish back then it's like oh what a piece of yeah he's going against the queen he's going against who the yeah. heck is he you know because that's just the hive mind over in england so it gets banned of course uh, by the bbc still gets to 16 even though it wasn't you know getting any airplay <laughs> Number one in Ireland, of course. And then he comes back with Mary Had a Little Lamb as his next single. Kind of, oh, you don't like political songs. You don't like teaching people what's going on in the world. Here's a children's nursery rhyme for you. You like that better. (laughs) Uh, Of course, that gets people a hard time, too. And then in 1972, he had a song called High, High, High. Oh, that must be talking about being high or, you know, sexual reference. Oh, that's evil. So he kind of can't get out of his own way, it seems
1: like Mm -hmm
2: which has got to be rough because you would have to think that the success would just keep going just keep going like oh I'll just put out solo records and people will buy those and I will continue on this path and yeah to hit that to hit that rough
0: patch even for him at that point in time had to be pretty disheartening probably so yeah and and they actually changed the name it was just Wings he did mm-hmm. the first McCartney album then it goes to Wings and then for the, for Red Rose Speedway They changed it to Paul McCartney and Wings. I don't know if they thought they were having a hard time marketing it or people weren't figuring it it out. That
2: would be my guess, yeah, is, you know, you figure, okay, maybe people don't know what this is, so we're going to make it very clear.
0: And that one had their first number one hit in My Love. I was looking at it. They had 12 singles hit the top 10 in the U.K., 14 in the U.S.A., but they only had one number one single in the U.K., whereas they had six in the US. Mm. So I feel like that is showing you that England is kind of moving on and we're kind of sick of McCartney and some of his nonsense and <laughs> the Beatles are over, whereas the US is just kind of lapping it up like, oh, poor McCartney. That's awesome. Give it to mm. us, you know. But after Red Rose Speedway, I mean, I think the idea for Red Rose Speedway, which is the album that comes out before Band on the Run, the idea was to make it a double album. And it was just like, and he's working with Glenn Johns, and then eventually Glenn Johns leaves. He's like, okay, this isn't working for me. I'm going to go. And then EMI's like, look, this stuff isn't that good, Paul. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't have a double disc here. And even Paul was like, okay, you're right. I got to, you know, we'll, we'll pare it down to just one album. And so they they released Red Rose Speedway. They also do Live and Let Die in 72 for the James Bond movie uh with mm. uh yafet koto as the as the bad guy in the roger moore film but it's like not too long after that he loses his guitar player and his drummer because they're kind of like they're disenchanted with the music direction some of them don't want to be just paid employees they don't mm. love the fact that linda is in on everything even though she's not a musician that's starting to cause problem and you know i don't want to be a lowly paid side man. and then this woman who doesn't know anything about music? Can't play anything. She's reaping all the rewards. Gets co-writes, you know, on the mm-hmm. album and all that kind of stuff. So he was, uh, he was in a little bit of—I uh, don't know if trouble's the right word—but he's kind of in the middle of a, a couple of storms here.
2: Yeah, and I think that one of the things that I learned too is Denny Lane is criminally underrated and just, he seems like the whole story is, is messed up because they were going to go to Africa to make the record. Right. And then the, who was it? uh, Henry McCullough and Denny Sewell. Right. I believe they're like, yeah, we're not going to go. And like what, like right before that. And Denny, he gets on the plane with them. They go to this location that they thought was going to be very sexy and very mysterious and uh, exotic. And it was none of those things. Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) <laughs> he hung in there. So good for him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. So Henry McCulloch was on guitar and, and Danny Sewell's the drummer. They were in and Sewell's there since 71. Henry had been brought in in 72. They decide to leave. And yes, for some reason, EMI convinces them to go to Lagos, Nigeria to make the record. Was,
2: yeah. I think it was one of those things where Paul was like, okay, you know what there, let's go someplace different. And I think he was looking at a list of all the EMI Uh, Mm -hmm. studios and ooh you know africa that sounds great like you know this this will be this you know exotic adventure and then they get there and figure out i think it was like right after some big political deal too so like not only was it a depressed area to begin with they were coming off this big military coup or something and
0: there's always a military coup yeah
2: and and i guess the They said recording studio, but it was really just kind of a shed with some, like there was no like individual booths or anything. And so all of it kind of got shot as soon as they hit the ground. And it was an
0: eight track and it's like, well, George has got a better system (laughs) in his house. Like, why don't you just go to Friar Park or whatever, you know? Yeah. And. Well, I mean, and they probably had to work. They had to probably record it outside of England for tax purposes. They got to go someplace. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's not go to the Bahamas or to the Caribbean or something, right? Let Let's go to Lagos. That sounds like fun. And of course, they got held up, and their tapes were stolen Mm -hmm. from them. And they weren't even stolen, so they could take rare Paul McCartney and sell it as bootleg. They were just stealing the tapes, right? Which didn't make any sense. So, you know, so then they have to go back and finish it. They do record some of it at Abbey Road. They record some of it at AIR, A-I-R. But yeah, I mean, it's really just the three of them, Paul, Linda, and Denny, who make this album. And Paul's playing everything except lead guitar, basically. I mean, Linda puts in a little keyboard, I guess. Denny Lane is a fine guitar player. I guess he's contributing some piano and maybe a little bass or something. But for the most part, it's it's Paul and, and Denny and, and Linda. There's there's this guy on sax. We can talk about some of the... There's a little bit extra folks Mm -hmm. on here but for the most part it's just the three of them and then boom they make what is easily their most successful album Uh, and the one i mean as a as wings certainly and and the one that really kind of helps sustains paul's solo career through the 70s Mm -hmm. yeah
2: i think this was definitely the one that that kind of brought him back everybody said, okay, he really can write these songs that are catchy and that people want to listen to. And you're right, th- this is what kept him going into, you know, when we caught up with him during the Michael Jackson years mm-hmm. in the early 80s.
0: Right, yeah, because, I mean, because it went downhill big time for Wings at the end of the decade, and then I think mm-hmm. that's when he's kind of shed his wings and went back to being just Paul McCartney. But, you know, this is considered, if not the best, a lot of people will call it the second best solo beatles album ever. a lot of people say plastic ono i say all things must pass mm-hmm. is is the best. but it mean it's up there whereas a lot of the other stuff that he did early in the 70s those don't really make the list. <laughs> and they didn't tour much mm-hmm. either. well he had he had really little kids then too though. right, right. i mean yeah, still had heather from linda's first marriage who he adopted and i think around this time stella was born and Mm -hmm. maybe he wasn't uh, the easiest of pregnancies so he's like and we're gonna move to east sussex where it's like a lot of rock stars have farms and big properties down there but Mm -hmm. he's like you know we're gonna we're gonna move there so they have a normal life we don't want them in london we don't want the cameras on them they don't need to go to some super posh school we'll just you know we'll send them down here we'll have a normal kind of life and i Totally respect that. I totally get that. But you're right. That does put it that does put a crimp in the we're gonna do
2: a, you know, hundred city world tour. No. Right. And they didn't not tour what, for this
0: album at all. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So so we can start to jump into it a little bit here. I mean, it's it was widely given high marks both at the time and kind of like later. Of course, not Robert Chris, the village voice, you know, he has the shit all over everything. He gave it a
2: plus. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, I was just scrolling through. I'm like, who would give this a C plus? Uh I mean, you may not love
0: it. It may not be your favorite album ever, but it's C plus. Come on. Yeah, I know. Just one of those New York, just nothing's ever good enough. Unless you're Lou Reed. But in 1981, he came back to it. He's like, I originally underrated what many consider McCartney's definitive post-Beatles statement. But not as much as his admirer's overrated. (laughs) Pop masterpiece, this I mean, it's a it's it's a relief after wildlife and Rose Red Rose Speedway. But <laughs> so may, maybe, a uh, I mean, C plus a not disreputable performance, most likely a failed experience uh, experiment. Goodness, dude. Yeah. But no, whatever Bowie and Lou Reed does. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I will literally slurp you like i will do it right now it's it's i'm not just saying that it will literally happen if you put it pull it out in front of me i can't wait to choke it down my throat okay
2: all Take it is it is lou reed shaking a can full of quarters that's the greatest thing ever he's oh a my genius God. he's
0: a genius <laughs> how these people out in the plains don't get it what are they listening to led zeppelin those morons <laughs> But what's also, of course, interesting is there is an English or European version different from the U.S. version. And the U.S. has an extra track, Helen Wheels, Mm -hmm. which was squeezed in on side two. So uh, the original uh, U.K. album was like 41 minutes of change or something like that. Whereas for U.S. it was 44, giving a little something extra to the U.S. fans there. Maybe that's another thing that pissed off the British people. I don't know. (laughs)
3: Hi, this is Jim McCarty of the
0: ArtBuds, and you're listening
3: to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
0: All right, but let's jump in here. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, it's going to start with the epic title track band on the run how many times have we heard this on rock radio growing up
2: uh maybe a million i mean it's always it's in very heavy rotation as it should
0: be it's a classic song and it's well, it's talking about a few different things here i feel like he said it was partly inspired by a comment that harrison made during the beatles apple during a, a, a meeting they're having about apple and it's one of escape and freedom
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's coming out at the same time that they're escaping from Alan Klein. A- and a time where I think all of a sudden their relationships started to get a little bit better. Like when they broke up, it was kind of like finally, we're kind of free of each other. We're out of each other's pockets. Mm-hmm. We can go do our own thing. And they go do their own thing. They got a bunch of yes people around them and they might eh, talk a little shit about their former bandmates and maybe talk a little shit in the press about them. But I guess eventually Paul and John had a little bit of a come together to say you know we really don't need to snipe at each other in the press we really don't need to hide these secret messages mm-hmm. to each other about this so so on this one when when asked about band on the run john says something positive like it's a great song off of a great album not like well he's kind of going backwards or i would you know they it, did it, it's positive you know it's like mm-hmm. starting to help each other out again so i'm like well that's a nice thaw to happen in in post-Beatles land that is an interesting idea about it.
2: you were in this band right and you had these three other guys who you had ups and downs but at least you could talk to them about what you were experiencing so now that's over with mm-hmm. the relationship is one where you know you probably don't talk really at all probably when they first broke up but you would miss that you know like man i want to talk to my i want to talk to this person who can identify with me. Who's not just going to yes me to death. I mean, even, you know, I understand his relationship with Linda was in the world of rock and roll was completely different. I mean, he was with her for years. They were, they had a partnership there, but even still, I can't imagine that she would kind of yes him to death too, maybe a little bit, you know, Oh, that sounds so great. Oh, we should totally do this. You need somebody to tell you to talk to you straight. And who's on the same level. So I'm sure getting back together with them is like, you know, maybe they weren't all bad times. You know, we had good times, too. And, you know, we can we can relate to each other.
0: Yeah. I mean, how can Linda call you out on the music? Right. right. She doesn't have the wherewithal. She, Correct. You know, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I mean, I'm sure she knows what she likes and she doesn't and say, Paul, I don't like that. But. You know, I mean, as a musician, she can't, she's not on that level. Right. You know, but, I, but I think it's calling you out too, with
2: that's, that's what you've got like, that's, oh, I'm really excited about this song. Are you? Cause that's a piece of garbage and you know mm-hmm. it, come on, <laughs> you can do better than that. I don't think she was ever going to tell him that.
0: Yeah. And apparently the lyric, if we ever get out of here, was inspired by George. Yeah. Being in one of the business <laughs> meetings, you know, and, and he's saying that we're all prisoners in some way due to contractual obligations. And mm-hmm. I, I think Apple was losing a ton of money when they would sell a an, a an album you know an individual album from the Beatles it might do well but any other artists they might have had on there didn't make any money and they were costing money to run the facility and run the business and stuff like that so he's like yeah let's let's put it all together but I can see George saying that like well if we ever get out of this with <laughs> Alan Klein or if we ever get out <laughs> of this meeting so I can go do something I'd rather do hmm and that's what a lot of people don't realize is that they still had to kind of continue to meet with each other on a regular basis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, the for business stuff. purposes. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. All right, but here we are. Song one, Band on the Run. I've always loved it. Always, always, always. And I don't know, it, it, it's great. It starts off nice and slow, you know, with the guitar. And then at 120, you kind of get that, it picks up. Mm-hmm. And he starts to do the if, if we ever get out of here bit. Two oh seven is the famous horns, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. and then about two fifteen the classic acoustic kicks in, and it's very simple, but it's it's great, you know. And yeah. you got to listen to the bass. Paul McCartney is actually a really fantastic bass player, mm-hmm. and he's put in some incredible bass lines over the years. Sometimes while he's singing lead, it's not extraordinary because he's kind of focused on singing at that point. But I just I love this song. And everyone else should too,
1: damn it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: this is kind of like the, the, the it harkens back to like a day in the life where it's basically two songs put together. So hmm. you kind of, it's kind of a little bit familiar with that, the way it's constructed, but yeah, it's got that doom and gloom at the beginning, you know, if we ever get out of here mm-hmm. and then it goes to that, you know, the bum, 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 bum. And then you kind of feel like, yeah, they are getting out of there. And then the, you know, the acoustic part kind of sounds like you're escaping and flying away. Yeah. It's, it's really good
0: yeah the rain exploded with a mighty crash like you're out of that yeah you feel it on you it's like ah here we go and it's it's freedom you know it's freedom from alan klein freedom from being stuck in england freedom from being held up at gunpoint in, in nigeria <laughs> whatever it is you know you, you're out of there and what did this but hit I, number one did this go this went to number one in america right it would not hurt it would not surprise me if it did but yeah. it, i i like the
2: whole concept of that's that's really all he wants to do he wants to be in a band he wants to be out he wants to be touring you know it, it's that band on the run like we're we're escaping from something mm-hmm. but it's i think it's more just like the, the freedom to that's what i'm here for i'm here to write songs get on the road play these things in front of people that's that's what i do
0: yeah and so it's like there's this calm time and then there's this harder time where the, the- Guitar's a little little heavier
2: than Mm -hmm. usual.
0: And then there's like the breakout. Ah, and then there's Mm -hmm. just it's a happy song. And everyone sings along. Band on the run. I mean, I played it for my daughter the first time. By the end of the song, she's singing Band on the Run, you know, (laughs) because it's catchy. Yeah, it went to number one in the US, number three in the UK, and number one a couple places like Canada and New Zealand, but it went gold back when gold was still a million. It is a gold-selling single in the U S sold over a million, you know? So that's a big deal for him for sure.
2: Great way to start the record. And, you know, let's back up for a minute too, and talk about the, uh, the cover also. Okay. Pretty iconic. You know, it's the, it's the, they're escaping from jail. It's right. You know, the spotlight is on you Mm -hmm. and then it's just a collection of like, because I didn't think about it at the beginning. Like I just figured when I was a kid, I just figured, although those are the people in the band, and then you start to realize, wait a minute, the dude in the back is James Colbert. He's not, he was never in the wing. Wait, what's going on with what's this What's going on, yes. Christopher Lee's in there. And there was a, there were a couple other guys. One was a prize fighter and a, a comedian. It was just a bunch of guys that they knew that the, they put in this photo. Because, yeah, because there's really only
0: the three of them in the band at this point. Correct, you know,
1: yeah.
0: So to make it seem bigger. But yeah, some of those people got to help them break out, I suppose. Right and and the thing is on a quicker
2: side too you may think you're cool you will never be james colburn cool that's that's for
0: sure yeah yeah <laughs> it was just like the wax museum they must have gotten some of these from or these actual people
2: no, no they were the actual people and it was some weirdo thing too where like they basically were in total darkness and then they had the spotlight on them mm-hmm. so they had to stay still for like three or four seconds in order for the exposure to capture so it's like i want you to okay now i want you to do it all over again you know do something crazy now let's three hours later we're still trying to get the same photo that must have been a pain (laughs) i guess the deal was that the the guy who was a photographer who i can't find his name right now but he was a pretty famous deal like he used the wrong film like it was for it what he needed film for total darkness this wasn't it so it kind of had a yellow tinge and he's like oh crap (laughs) this is not gonna go well and i guess mccartney was like hey what was that with the yellow tint that looks really great he's like yeah yes that's 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 what i was going for (laughs) (laughs) right i'm an artist man of course it looks great
0: yeah you know (laughs) why why even uh, question it you know right so yeah anyway great great way to start off an album Mm -hmm. a great song and it's kind of gives you the feeling yeah maybe he is back now right and just the three of them playing on it uh, although Look, Tony Visconti you know he's worked with a lot of people over the years he did some of the strings and the orchestrations on mm-hmm. this album so anytime you hear something like that that's Tony Visconti putting his stuff kind of back over it okay let's move on Great way Now, now you're kind of off and running, right? Killing it so far. And it's, it's amazing because a lot of times we do research on Wikipedia, which we know is not always right. You got to go to other sources. Mm-hmm. However, mostly on Wikipedia, on the album page, there will be links on the singles, but there probably won't be links on the album tracks or the lesser known songs not so for a paul mccartney <laughs> album like this you can click on all of them to learn a little bit more now the second song was actually the first single released and that's jet jet which was released first in the u.s in late january of 74 february 15th in the uk and had a couple of b-sides both of them on the album memunia was the first b-side for the u.s then apparently they thought, well, maybe that could be an A-side in its own right. Let's not use that for the UK. Let's, lo- let's use let me roll it. Which definitely could have been a yeah. a an A side in its own right, and it's one that got a lot of airplay, and it's one that he has played almost all the time over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one that he's done quite a bit of. But so they they start off with Jet, I guess, because it's an upbeat rocker, and that's the way you want to start your first single. That would be my guess. Yeah, it,
2: it, this is to me. It, I don't know if anybody else could have sold Band on the Run like that be, with the slow start to it, and it's five twelve. Also, if you listen to the whole thing. Yeah, Jet's a little bit easier, 409, and it's and it's more upbeat. Don't really know what it's about. Very kind of nonsensical lyrics, but I guess it was his dog.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess he can really, he can make a song out of really about anything. We'll, and, we'll get into that later, too, I mean, but yes. Right, there's another story about that, that's for sure. But yeah, no, they had a dog who I guess, and, and Paul has had a house a couple of blocks away from Abbey Road, which was still EMI at the time. Mm -hmm. uh when they recorded this but just a few blocks from how Road, i used to walk by it all the time i mean it's pretty close to the to the lord's cricket ground there in in saint john's wood so you know but then they had a they had a fence around their backyard i guess the dog would get out all the time and run around and do her thing and i guess she would get pregnant and they would come up with all these funny names for the dogs and i guess one of the babies was uh, was jet you know, because it was black, and figured that must have been a, a black Labrador who must have gotten her pregnant or whatever. But come up with names like Golden Molasses and Brown Megs and stuff like that. So uh, it's about Jet, and 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 then when he puts Suffragette in there, it's like, well, I have to find something that rhymes, so I'll throw in that in there, see how it works. So you're right, it doesn't always have to make sense. <laughs>
2: And and it's it's if if it gets stuck in your head and you can sing it, everybody knows the, the part where you yell out jet. But it was interesting because he mentioned something about writing songs and talking to George Harrison and Harrison's songs are very personal to him. They have right. a lot of meaning. And he would ask him, like, you know, how how do you write these things? Like, you know, who is Eleanor Rigby? You know, Maxwell Silverhammer doesn't mean anything. Like, it's just he thinks of yeah. something in his head and it just leads you down the path to write a song. It doesn't have to
0: mean anything. It's just a starting point. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like you might have one line that makes sense. And it's like, OK, now I got to build a whole song around this one line. Like, all right. Correct. Well, Just go in whatever direction. It was also interesting. It was kind of about while courting Linda and then marrying her. Of course, like her dad is very traditional kind of guy and maybe a Mm -hmm. little bit of an intimidating figure. So it was it was kind of like his experience about being getting married to Linda and having to deal with meeting her father and and dealing with his father figure. And I don't know, he kind of put that he said, that's part of it either, too. But it's like, what am I supposed to sing? Say, oh, Linda, seeing your dad is so intimidating. You can't (laughs) sing that. So, you you know, you got to put it together in in different ways. Mm. It went to number seven in both UK and and the U.S., and uh, and charted in other countries as well, of course. But it seems like, all right, we're, we're kind of off and running here. We've got an upbeat song, singing about the sergeant major. I don't really know all about it, but, um, you know, it, it, it's got Howard, Howie Casey on the saxophone. Like, I wonder if Howie Casey did well in the 80s with all that saxophone that was on every <laughs> pop song there was. But, I mean, I guess he's a little bit older And maybe by the time he got to the 80s, he wasn't dealing with all those people. But he's a session musician who made his living doing that and played on the Tommy soundtrack for The Who and worked with the Stones and, you know, had a a nice career. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Pretty, pretty darn good. Now, I like it, but I didn't like it as much as I like Band on the Run, to be honest with you. But it's still a good
2: song for them. So now let me ask you this question. After this, the rest of these tracks,
0: familiar? Not familiar? So... By name, for the mm-hmm. most part, mm-hmm. no, because I'm with you, you know, and I am I have some of his greatest hits albums, and I have Wingspan, which is the greatest hits album. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a live album of Paul's. So I'm like, I'm looking at the rest of these, and I'm like, okay, I don't know any of these songs. Right. But then I listen to them, and I'm like, oh, wait, yes,
2: I do. Yeah, I, I was I was in the same boat, like, uh-oh, this is it. I've I've, I've exhausted my knowledge of this in two songs I haven't heard. No, wait, no, this sounds familiar. Okay, I've heard this before. Again, I couldn't tell you what the title was. I couldn't tell you where I had heard it before,
0: but yes, there are definitely familiar tracks the rest of the way through here. And this is why I feel bad for the younger generation, because when we were growing up, they would play these deeper tracks sometimes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you're going to hear the hits a lot more, sure. But you got to fill 24 hours with rock and roll. It's not always just going to be hits. They will go and do some deeper tracks. And some stuff will get released in another country as a single. But that doesn't mean an American DJ can't play the track. Mm -hmm. And they will, you know. So and then today, (laughs) where are kids going to hear these deep tracks? Because I listen to classic rock radio every day. And I got to tell you, I hate it. I'm thinking (laughs) about... (laughs) <laughs> paying money for Sirius, which I'm just abhorrently just against to the fiber. I'm like, I've got CDs I could pop in if I still had a CD player in my car. I've got free radio. Why do I have to pay for radio? I'm like, well, A, you don't want to hear commercials. B, rock radio just sucks now. I, It's a joke that I have with my daughter. I'm like, how long will it be once we're in our car before we hear Guns N' Roses or Bon Jovi? How long will it be? It's never more than 10 minutes. <laughs> I was going to say. There's and no sometimes it's right away, you know, I'm like, yeah. God, Guns N' Roses made two and a half records. Why are you playing them like they're the Rolling Stones? It's because radio is more populous than politics have become, right? Mm. And if a bunch of crackers want to hear Bon Jovi and Pat Benatar and Guns N' Roses all day, that's 40% of your programming. And so you don't, you, don't, you don't even hear Paul McCartney's band on the run, let alone something like Bluebird or Let Me Roll It. You know, mm-hmm. so it's and even if you go to something and and you go to deep tracks, I've heard top forty songs on deep tracks. I'm like, how is this a deep track? It was a single. <laughs> it hit the charts. I guess we have different definitions of it, but yeah, that's that's my rant on the state of rock music today. Thank you for listening.
2: Well, the other thing too is you have to remember there was a time when you would drive places and there weren't radio stations or there yeah. weren't radio stations that you want to listen to. So yeah, then the tape deck comes in real handy. What do we have? I don't know. Just throw it in there because I'm not listening to either
0: religious programming or static. So let's
2: go. Exactly.
0: So the third song Bluebird. This is very McCartney. Mm
1: -hmm. If you
0: ask me, this sounds very much like Paul. I think he's basically kind of calling himself or comparing himself to a bluebird, but it's, it's, it's melodic. I mean, it's something that you would expect from McCartney given his past catalog.
2: Yeah, and it's a it's a nice kind of change of pace here. We're slowing it down. You have the the island vibes. You've got the whatever that scrapy thing is, where you know you run the stick across it. and it, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. kind of nice. You don't hear that a lot in his stuff. It, yeah, the sax is smooth. It's a it's a really it's a nice I guess you would call it adult contemporary track. Fly away
1: through the midnight.
0: Yeah, and I guess it was written apparently while they were vacationing in in Jamaica. Maybe one that had been around for a little while
1: mm-hmm.
0: in, in one form or another. It uh, definitely feels more island
2: Jamaica than being in Africa and writing songs.
0: Yeah, and it was it was the B side to Mrs Vanderbilt in Europe. So some people did get to hear it outside mm-hmm. of the album. And then I, I guess there was a there's a percussionist. His name's Remy Kabaka. He's from Lagos, so did he put some some stuff on there while they were in Nigeria? No, he just happened to be in <laughs> London while they were recording it. So, uh, so he, he kind of put some on from there. But I don't know if that's the that you're talking about mm. or not. I, I honestly don't know. But you know, I'm a bluebird. I'm a bluebird. Mm-hmm. It's a it's kind of a simple Paul song. Nice, but yeah, I heard that growing up as a kid for sure
2: yeah yeah that was definitely one where where it washes back over you like oh i remember
0: this from a long time ago this is not unfamiliar to me exactly exactly and that is part of why i like to do these old albums because if they were that big and an artist like paul mccartney djs are going to listen to the whole album some people just Mm -hmm. like okay what's the new hit give me that i'll spin that maybe i'll listen to the whole record later maybe not but you know paul mccartney is going to be picked apart up and down just ask robert crisco so (laughs) People are going to figure out, okay, well, what are the other good songs on here before, besides just what they release? And as our buddy Carl Palmer has taught us in the 70s, radio was an art form and nobody's telling you, you have to play this, you have to play this, don't play this. So they're playing what they want. And if it's a good song, DJs would find it. And I think this is just part of uh, that example. Well, that's a whole nother separate rant too about old school radio and
2: you would find it was not so much that you were listening to the station you were listening to the dj because he was going to play stuff that was not the guns and roses slash ben benatar of the time and so you want to listen to the whole program because you were going to get stuff that that you've never heard before and deep cuts and just different stuff which sadly is no
0: longer around not not the case anymore no yeah and i know it's classic rock so it's you know, it's it's stuff that, that people know, but it doesn't just have to be the big hits. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, nice little tune there. Let's mm-hmm. move on to the fourth track, Mrs. Vanderbilt. Not issued as a single in the UK and the US, but was in Europe and Australia. And we just mentioned that uh, it was uh, Bluebird was the B-side. Mm-hmm. But then this one was kind of familiar too. Howard yeah. Casey is again featured on the sacks. And I guess it was some of the lines are kind of swiped from a English comedian called Charlie Chester, who I have no <laughs> understanding of <laughs> never heard of him. Don't know who if he you is. Say so what his shtick was, Yeah. but I mean, his catchphrase was down in the jungle, living in a tent better than a bungalow, no rent. Whereas Paul changed it to you don't use money. You don't pay rent. Okay. Is this Would about, you- gloria vanderbilt or is this about rich people in general i don't even know yeah
2: but you were talking about him playing the bass this has a very cool bass line to start off with
0: does doesn't it
2: yeah and it's a little darker and that you know the the it's not even the chorus but when he goes you know ho hey ho, -ho. that gets stuck in your head like it's nobody's business
0: It does, man. It really, really does. (laughs) I don't know. Mrs. Vanderbilt, he's singing about. Now, did he date Gloria? Is he trying to be friends with her? Because now he's got money like she does. Is he railing against her? I don't know. I don't even know what it's about, right? And like, I don't know the song. And then you you hear that ho. Hey ho! You're like, yep, nope. I've heard this one before yeah, too.
2: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but again, Mrs. Mrs. Vanderbilt. No, then never. It's not familiar to me at all. And then it comes in, and then he said something about don't complain about robbery. Was that when you got held up, or yeah. did you have some? Was that a metaphor for something else? Yeah, if, if you're
0: rich enough, who cares if somebody robs you? It's like, well, yeah. I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> it's still wrong. And then there's some maniacal laughter. At the end, which is kind of funny, a little strange, but hey, you know, he can kind of do whatever he wants. What's interesting is he never played this live with Wings, which I thought, mm, Okay. well, he should have. And it'd be a fun sing along kind of thing. Yeah. It's some, something Linda could do. Right. But they just didn't play that many songs and shows. I mean, I feel like 75, 76, they did 66 shows. And that's like more than half the shows Wings ever did throughout the 70s. Mm. So and that was one big tour, you know, tour on a couple continents or whatever, but just didn't do that much. So he didn't play it until he played a free concert in Kiev in Ukraine about 15 years ago. And there was an online polls like, which songs do you want him to sing? And that was number one. Mrs. Vanderbilt is number oh. one request in Ukraine the fans have spoken so he played it so he played it there and then he played a couple shows in i guess israel which i think were his first shows in israel played it there and and then played it in new york and and did it on a couple of tours from like 2009 to 2013. Mm -hmm. so you know he can bring it back i mean he's got it you know he can bring back beatles songs he can bring back solo stuff he's got this massive catalog And he does a ton of songs live, man. It's not like he just goes up there and plays 15 songs. He'll do 30 songs because, you know, a lot of those Beatles songs were two, two and a half minutes. <laughs> you know, you do 10 yeah. Beatles songs. You haven't even done a half an hour yet. Yeah, so. I'm not
2: even sweating yet.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So he can kind of pull stuff in and out. But that that's interesting to me as far as the live playing of it. Obviously, Band on the Run, he's played a lot. Jet, he's played a lot. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Vanderbilt didn't play it for the first 35 years it was out then he broke it out <laughs> that's kind of cool to me that he can still do that some bands are like if it wasn't a hit we won't even think about it
2: right right
0: but deep track he'll do
2: it well and it, and it's cool too that that somebody would vote for such an obscure track also because uh, so obviously people have heard this all these years and are really fans of it and want to hear and play it live That's right. So thank
0: you, Paul, for satisfying all these fans' (laughs) deep desires to hear your rare tracks and your album tracks. Okay, then we move on to Let Me Roll It, the last song on side one, the fifth, Mm -hmm. and as we mentioned, it was a B-side to Jet in the UK. This is one that he apparently loves. And has played it almost every tour and and basically every night for the most part. A lot anyway. I mean, it was on the Over the World Tour by Wings and his new world tour. And it's been part of every tour since. That's kind of amazing. Considering he wasn't even a single and was only a B-side in one country. Yeah. I
2: I was reading something about that too. And, and with all of that, yeah, why didn't you put that out? It could have totally been a single. I don't Absolutely. understand. Kind of an interesting deal, though. He's got the echo on in this one. yeah, And it really sounds a lot like Lennon. A lot. Yeah. So like, is, it, is that like a... Is that a is that a, a wink and a nod a little tip of the cap what what is that I mean that's it's very deliberate you didn't do that you didn't do it put the record out and say hey you know what that's weird that sounds a lot like John Lennon there's no way you didn't know what you were doing making the record
0: I don't know that's kind of It's like oh yeah I did make that sound like John I mean it should have been obvious as soon as you heard it if you ask me because yeah it it in I read it and then I hear it I'm like well yeah durr you know. Um, <laughs> But the guitar on there is pretty iconic I'd yeah, say I mean that riff
2: yeah yeah And I mean, think it's really it's really the only one on here that's got a, a pretty distinctive guitar riff
0: Well, that might be fair i mean as far as electric guitar riff yeah i don't know on band of the run is pretty iconic but it's not as tight as this one is yeah and look it's again this is one we've heard we heard it on rock mm-hmm. radio a lot growing up and and i guess it was he yeah he hadn't realized that he, he sounded like john but he had uh, this is the prior to this coming out it was he and john had the the meeting to say it wasn't we don't slag each other off on albums but the but there is some points in here where the riff and the odd drum bit (laughs) it it almost sounds like they're mistakes when i was a kid i always thought that i'm like why didn't they fix that before they put this out because obviously it it doesn't sound like it matches the rest of the song you know what i mean you know the bit that Mm. i'm talking about yeah 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 it's just a little odd it just seems a little off and i'm like well if he's paul mccartney why isn't it all it's not perfect
2: but if he's paul mccartney it's not a mistake that was done on purpose that's right yeah to kind of just i think change it up a little bit you're right but hey that's the first
0: sign of the album Mm-hmm. and although I don't know half of them are B-sides or and, and singles I'm familiar with all these songs on some level thanks to classic rock radio and from growing up on rock radio mm-hmm. so I'm glad we got to review this album because now I know the names of some of these songs it's like I don't always know the names Band on the Run That's obvious. Jet. okay, yeah, that's obvious. But let me roll it. It is not always Mrs. Vanderbilt. It's not always obvious, you know, Mm -hmm. so I'm glad we reviewed this on its 50th anniversary to to have better familiarity with it.
3: Hi, this is Steve Kilby from the church, and you're listening to the ugly American werewolf in London.
0: But now you flip it. We're going to the second side now. And the first one is Mamounia, which I guess was the name of the hotel they were at in Marrakesh. Mm-hmm. in 73. So you're starting to hear, you know, the McCartneys have a pretty good life, right? They're they're right. flying to Jamaica, they're going to Marrakesh, they're going to Lagos, you know, they're in the US for business and work. It's like, it's, it's not rough being them. And I know part of that is you have to be out of the country for a certain amount. So you don't have to pay the onerous taxes from the UK at the time. But I'd never heard this one before. Listen to this album.
2: I I can't tell you I had either. And so this is another one where it's what are we doing here? Because this Mm -hmm. does not sound like a Paul McCartney song. This sounds like a George Harrison song. So is this uh, is this uh, like a little hey, there's my guy, wink, love you, George? Or what's going on with this? Because it doesn't. If you told me this was a uh, one of the Beatles put this out, I wouldn't go to 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 uh, Paul
0: McCartney. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it's obviously it's somewhat inspired by his surroundings and, mm-hmm. and, and being in Morocco and all that kind of stuff. And I really like what he does on the bass on this one. Again, I feel like his bass running comes through and it's it's kind of cool on this. I don't see why he would have thought this could have been an A side, especially more than something like, let me roll it. Mm -hmm. but hey there 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 you go i mean you never know (laughs) you never know what's going to be a hit what people are going to gravitate to and not but i don't know i mean apparently mamunia means safe haven in arabic that's cool and that's Mm -hmm. what you should call a resort that you're getting paul mccartney (laughs) to come to (laughs) and i think we're we're going back to the the idea of escape and freedom too with this one i think you're right about that yeah and is it all about escaping out from under alan klein from the pain that the running the apple core label Mm -hmm. brings to all of them like they can do so many other things but they still have this weight kind of around their neck still tethered to these guys that you first met as a teenager it's like can i get free of that
2: (laughs) The, the apple thing really had to suck because you know it was a good idea in your head you know we'll we'll do this on our own no one's going to tell us what to do we can we can have freedom to put out the music that we like sign people that we like and it turns out to be just a train wreck of that's why these guys get paid you know you hate the record people but that's why they get paid because it has, it has to be done a certain way. And now this is your problem instead of the record company's problem.
0: Yeah, that's right. So they're like, why am I doing this to myself? Well, right. Uh, but apparently the, uh, someone named Jim Quick produced a music video for it, which was mostly animated. You don't huh. see Paul's face in it, but you can check out Mamunia uh, if you can find it online. It, it, it's out there. And it was on uh, a box set that came out in the last 20 years or so. So, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's not genius. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's you know it's kind of a happy thing, and it, yeah, and it's mm-hmm. talking about getting through the tough parts in life, and always make sure you do have some kind of safe haven, whether that's a woman, that's a house, it's something you can come back. It's, it's to. the idea of it, yeah. It's yeah. it's the concept more than an
2: actual place. Yeah, I think you're right yeah. about that. Yeah.
0: Now, no words, easily the shortest on the album, mm-hmm. just over two and a half. Here, it was supposed to be, I think, on on Red Rose Speedway, and the, but I don't know. The basic track was recorded in in Nigeria, and then they they came back to do. Uh, some strings and stuff with it this is a co-write for denny lane on the album i've seen two things one that said this was his only co-write on the album and then i've also seen where he did the co-write on let me roll it but it doesn't always say that so i'm not 100 percent sure if he was helpful on let me roll it or not as far as hmm. writing the music but he this is the one he gets credit for on the album
2: Yeah, my my note on here is that it, the the thing that's a little bit off putting to me is the seventies strings on this. I'm like, oh, you kinda you're dating yourself with those
0: things. Well, yes, but I mean the Beatles use a lot of strings and he's Paul McCartney. He gets <laughs> strings into stuff. So you know, Tony Visconti helps him out there for sure it does sound like more of a song between the two of them to be honest with you with Denny Lane you know and it does sound like there's a little a little bit of nowhere man in there to me Mm -hmm. you kind of hear a little bit of that in there.
2: there there's a there's a couple of themes in here that if you listen to this it's it's I don't know if it was done on purpose but yeah it's like oh that's that's a callback to some of the Beatles catalog and yeah you're right I think that does sound like what they're doing here again is it on purpose is it just something that i mean you wrote all those songs originally so they're in you're they're running around in your head and do they come out in a different yeah Yeah.
0: almost unknowingly yeah 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 you can't rip off yourself right yeah right uh but see i think like the guitar is pretty hot on here and that doesn't shock me because like if if you're denny lane and now you're getting a co-write on one of these songs then you make it as good as you possibly can. And you, you put your best into it and mm-hmm. you got your hot guitar, but then it fades. I mean, it's a very short song mm-hmm. and the only time they ever played, it was on their final tour in 1979. Only time they ever played a lot. And that wasn't that long of a tour from what I understand. So interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Denny is, is proud of it. Not an amazing song, incredibly short, But, you know, it it kind of fits in with everything he's trying to do here for the most part.
2: And it's nice, too, when you I mean, I know that, uh, you know, royalties are split up by who writes the songs. It's nice that he has at least one co-write on there to share in the uh, in the royalty distribution.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely true. And I guess somebody called Ian Horn also provided backing vocals with Trevor Jones. Okay, don't know those guys, (laughs) but thank you. But thank you both. All right, now we're going to jump because on the English album, it goes straight to Picasso's Last Words Drink to Me. On Mm -hmm. the US version, it goes to Helen Wheels. Okay. So I'm going to talk Helen Wheels for a minute here. And I guess it was a nickname they gave their Land Rover because it would take them all over into Scotland and down the West Coast and back to London if they had to. And it was actually a single that came out before the album did. So you know, so in England, this is a non album single in America. It's the first single off the album and is backed with Country Dreamer, which is a completely a country song. Mm-hmm. you know it's got the pedal steel slide in there, and it's it's it, you're not even trying to hide it as something else. It is a country song. Somehow the song went to number 10 in the U S and number 12 in the UK, but I didn't know this song. Did you? I've, I've heard it before. I didn't know it was, I didn't know it was included on this
2: record. I mean, I've seen it like on VH one, there's a video for it where they're in, in a car, a convertible. Yeah. I mean, I've heard this song before and it's, it's, it's catchy. It's, um, you know, and the, the chorus, you know, is one that you can gets kind of stuck in your head too. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a serviceable song. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, and apparently there's a video done by Michael Lindsey Hogg, who was the one who was doing Let It Be, and Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, helped with a lot of that stuff. To me, it doesn't really fit the rest of the album. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense to me why they would leave it off the UK version. I guess, I don't know what their thinking was. Is it, hey, it was top 10 in America let's go ahead and stick it on the album it wasn't that bad I mean 12 is not that bad in the UK right I mean it's just they just didn't want to give it to the UK they they liked the American audience more or they said let's just give us whatever I don't know but no I had never heard it and was shocked to find that it was a top 10 hit because I'm like because well look at the first side you know even if they weren't released or they were only b-sides I've heard all those songs mm-hmm. so this is a top 10 hit and I've never really heard it it's interesting
2: Yeah, I don't know if they if they kind of try and disassociate it with it now because it's not technically part of this, so it was kind of a standalone deal. I, I never, like I said, I never knew it was part of this package.
0: Well, and, you know, he kind of, I mean, the footage shows Paul playing on the drums and playing guitar and playing bass because at this time, Seawell and Henry McCullough had already left. Mm-hmm. So there is no band to film except for the three of them, so they have to kind of show Paul doing everything. Yeah, I mean, Record World back in the day said predicted that it's a rock and rolling number and it should drive to number one in a matter of weeks didn't get quite that high but you could kind of see that there were still some people just whatever paul does oh this is great it'll be number one it's so awesome you know Cashbox called it a savage rocker from a band that has become more proficient at rock with each outing oh paul
1: oh we love you so much take it easy
0: Ah. But you know when they talk about the west coast some people will think oh he's talking about california he's like no he's talking about like west coast of england like driving from mm-hmm. liverpool and all that kind of stuff so that should be obvious because that's where he's from but you know people but but the, but the way
2: that they it, it definitely sounds like he's trying to make it like a 50s american song so i could see how you would misconstrue that especially if you were here because yeah everybody thinks everybody's talking
0: about america all the time because it's so awesome correct and it well it was and it was in technicolor whereas you know eh, still some gray spots around england even in the 70s (laughs) but everything's sunny and in technicolor in the usa hi this is mick wall and you are listening to the ugly american werewolf in london all right now here we go ninth song on the u.s version eighth song on the uk version this is very interesting song picasso's Mm -hmm. last words parentheses drink to me Mm -hmm. long song right longest on Mm -hmm. the album yes
2: that is correct there's a there's a lot of uh there's a lot of change-ups here in this song
0: yes we do hear some callbacks to both jet and mrs vanderbilt on Mm -hmm. this song We, we almost call them reprises. OK, but the story about writing this song is legendary as far as I'm concerned. Oh, right. Do you know the story? I do know the story. Yes, but go right ahead. Do you want to tell the story? I
2: it, it, you seemed like you really wanted to tell the story. Go tell the story.
0: <laughs> OK, so here he is on vacation, Montego Bay, Jamaica. Mm-hmm. He sneaks onto the set of Papillon, where he met both Dustin Hoffman and Steve McQueen. If you're Paul McCartney. You could just walk onto film sets. It's, it, no one's going to say, excuse me, sir, where's your well, security
2: badge? Yeah, that, that was part of the story was that apparently he, like when he's on vacation, he doesn't want to be Paul McCartney. I don't know. Until it's like, hey, what's going on over there? That's a
0: movie set. Hey, it's me, Paul McCartney. I yeah. can go on to the set,
2: right? So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Now, he wants to be, you know, anonymous in his house. He doesn't want people knocking on his door. But yeah, if he wants to go somewhere or see somebody, he's like, by the way, I'm Paul McCartney. I'm gonna walk. Correct. Right yeah, I can do whatever I oh, you can't go on the set. I think I can. I believe I can. Or I'll just yeah. buy this whole set. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wouldn't say that, but it's true. All right. So then he goes to dinner with Hoffman and he's playing around on the guitar and Cardi's like, Oh, I can write a song about anything. He's like Hoffman's like, No, you can't. You gotta have a, a reason. You gotta have a focus. You gotta have a story. He's like no, I could do. I could do about anything. He's like, fine. Pulls out a magazine. Here's a story about the death of Pablo Picasso. Make a song out of this. And he's like, and his famous last words were, "Drink to me, drink to my health." You know, I can't drink anymore. And he created a demo right on the spot. And Hoffman's talking to his wife. He's, Look, he's doing it. He's really fucking doing it. Look at it. You know. And then yeah, becomes a, a nearly six-minute song. Now it's a bit of an odd one, and. <laughs> apparently ginger baker who was also living in africa at the time i guess he lived in africa for a long time he was kind of a surly weirdo ginger baker but yeah he had a studio in arc studios in nigeria why i don't know but he just kind of chose to live there It was probably tax purposes and inexpensive and his money would go a long way down there and baker wanted him to do the whole album there but he you know he kind of came by and and spent one day and yeah you can hear a tin full of gravel being played that's ginger baker okay that's ginger baker on this track well, said good night to
1: drink to me drink to my health you know i
2: And that's kind of a cool addition, too, to that myth of this uh, myth of this uh, album. You know, you had uh, somebody like that. Did he run into him? Did he know he was there? Was it one of those like, hey, you know, I'm here, too. Let's just jump on this
0: track and do something. And then once Ginger gets insistent, telling him no becomes a problem because he was not someone you trifled with. (laughs) <laughs> don't just mess or joke around with ginger baker you know he was kind of a, a strange guy but it's it's a weird song i mean you're speaking french in the first couple of minutes there and then at two minutes there's a jet kind of reprise mm-hmm. and then it goes on to about three forty or so and then it changes to something else and then with five minutes at the five minute mark or so you kind of get more into the ho hey ho from mrs yeah. vanderbilt so i mean it's a weird one but i mean it was made on a dare basically so yeah
2: <laughs> i don't and, and I, I like the i like the sentiment i mean i don't know if you're telling me that was pablo picasso's last words i have to believe that that was true but i do like that you know drink to me because i can't drink anymore
0: yeah i like that at my funeral that's what i want you to say so you're thinking that you're gonna go before me i, I mean if i had to guess
2: right so I tell my son all the time. He's like, he's something about like, well, you know, one. Day, I said, I will, I'm going to live forever. You'll never get rid of me. <laughs> Good luck. Nice. I like so that. yeah, it, and and there is that part where they do the there there's that fade out before they do jet, and it's like and there's that drum beat. I'm like, that sounds an awful lot like the beginning of Eminence Front. Boom, I'm like, mm-hmm. really interesting. I interesting. totally missed that, but that's interesting. Interesting, just for a second. But you know, that's where my mind goes. Yeah, this is this could have been. You could have made this song probably about half of what it was. But yeah. you've got the you've got that reprieve, and yeah, we're we're kind of getting close to the end of the record here, and maybe just wrapping some stuff up.
0: Yeah, you know, and and you can almost call it proggy. It's certainly a little experimental Mm -hmm. uh, and and has some different stuff on it there. It was obviously not built to go on the radio and is something that you put towards the end of the album. And if we go by, you put your worst song second to last on the album. Mm -hmm. Worst is kind of a cruel thing to say, but it's the oddest. It's the least likely to be a single. And so I think it kind of tracks there.
2: Yeah, I think I think the last two, or maybe even the last three, are they're kind of reserved for yeah stuff like this where it's it's a I I'd never heard this song before and it is a little strange but you know the more you listen to it the more you kind of well, you know this this is pretty good I like this
0: so yeah no I I, I was glad to discover it because uh, mm-hmm. I'd never heard it before and then the story of its creation kind of gives it a little it definitely extra makes fun it there yeah it
2: it it, add, it definitely adds layers to it if there was no story to it. Then you'd say, man, whatever. But the whole thing about how, you know, getting to meet Steve McQueen, getting to meet Dustin Hoffman, you know, that's just the kind of spoils of being somebody like Paul
0: McCartney. Being Paul McCartney. Yeah. And the the spoils of being Dustin Hoffman and Steve McQueen is that you get to meet Paul McCartney. Correct. Yeah. Which is a pretty good deal. All right. So then we go to the last track on the record, 1985, which was one of the B-sides for Band on the Run. Mm Mm-hmm could have been a single in its own right i feel like yeah but this is one of those where he wrote the first line and then he went from there like he had the concept <laughs> was the first line and then after that he didn't have anything right so but he, but he made up he made it wings never played it and he didn't play it till 2010 hmm. which is shocking to me i'm like you didn't even play it in the 80s uh, so was that
2: was that the same kind of thing where somebody voted on
0: this or why did he
2: decide to pull it out at that point in time
0: You know, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. He played it quite a bit in the 2010s, whatever you Mm. call that decade. First time ever during his up-and-coming tour, which is 2010 to 11. He played on the run, which is 11 and 12. He played it on out there, which is thirteen to fifteen. He played it one on one, which is sixteen to seventeen. He played it at the Cavern Club in Liverpool in twenty eighteen, freshen up tour, Sandy Relief concert, and in the twenty twenty two, got back tour. So, and he performed the song at Glastonbury last year. So maybe it's one that he didn't like for some reason, mm. but now in retrospect, he's kind of uh, he enjoys it now. I- I'm not sure. Interesting. Yeah.
2: To think it sat on the shelf for that long and then for whatever reason he came back to it and said you know what i really do like this one maybe so
0: yeah maybe so and it's it, i mean it's got a little build up to it it's got the mellotron on it it's got some you know yeah, it's a build up to nice. it yeah yeah you know it, it probably deserved more than just being uh one of the b-sides to band on the run but mm-hmm. hey you know i mean i like it and i had heard it before okay I'd heard this before, you know, growing up at, at some point, the, the jam at the end is kind of a fun and a cool way to end the album.
1: Mm-hmm. It,
0: it, it's almost like a pre-disco song with the beat, I feel like is four <laughs> on the floor. They got shakers. There's mm-hmm. a little funk with the Mellotron. This probably could have been played in dance clubs in 78, 79.
2: Yeah, especially with the with the kind of the orchestral part too, That was that was going to be pretty big for the rest of the 70s
0: yeah yeah definitely. you know, and it's mostly a piano song. It's not like a like a guitar song. It's like there's mm-hmm. a slowdown and there's some an organ with some singing, and then it picks back up, but to me, it's more of a bouncy piano song, but then you know, there's a little bit of band on the run reprise at the end. so now you know, okay, this is wrapping up the album, right? right? Start yeah, with it's band Sending on the run. you off, yeah, yes, exactly. so so there it is three million copies sold in the united states i guess we should also say you know one of the other b-sides to band on the run was a song called zoo gang okay that was about a french fighting team which which makes it pure fiction on its own right there <laughs> from world war ii but they had animal code names like the wolf and of course i gravitated to the wolf but had all these names And I I guess it was, there was a TV show that ran on BBC called The Zoo Gang, which kind of showed these people dealing with the Nazis or or whatever. And it Mm -hmm. was the theme song. It's an instrumental. It's two minutes. It's kind of a throwaway, but apparently it was useful because they used it in this one season show that I've never heard of. Okay. Okay. It's it's got no lyrics. It's got no vocals. It's only two minutes. To me, that's the heart of a throwaway. Whereas Country Dreamer was a real song. It was mm-hmm. supposed to be on maybe Red Rose Speedway. It, it sounds a little bit like George Harrison in some parts, and and Henry McCullough pre- pre- provides some cool pedal steel on it. It's a real song that's maybe a different genre. Whereas Zoo Gang is just this odd little thing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Although I'm do I I'm glad they put these like deluxe packages together cuz then you get to hear stuff like this. I mean The Zoo Gang thing is interesting just for the story.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think they got nominated for Grammys for this. It may have won. The song may have won a Grammy three times platinum in the United States. It got up to number one in the U.S., got up to number one in the U.K. and Spain and Norway and Canada and Australia and all that. But it was number three overall on the year in the us which is a big deal went gold in the uk that's killer actually no i'm sorry it went platinum uh the remastered edition went gold so you know this is one that i think that he was proud of uh it was Mm -hmm. one that i think kind of allowed them to kind of keep going and, and get some momentum back after they'd lost a little bit from some bad press some albums that had a little bit of i don't know I don't know if backlash is the right word or not, but it's like, it's not that hard hitting. You're doing some soft stuff. So to get to something more like this, that does have pop hits, some bigger songs, some experimentation. I think he got a lot of his street cred back.
2: I was going to say, do you think at some point in time, he started to get nervous? I mean, he, I didn't realize that either. I mean, the Beatles broke up in 1970. This was 1973. So what did he have like? I don't know like maybe one or two up. No, he had four albums out in that time. Yeah. Do you think at some point in time he was like, "Uh-oh, maybe the magic's gone?" Maybe or maybe maybe the maybe not the magic's gone, but maybe the world has passed me
0: by. They're onto something else now. Yeah, I don't I mean, you know, and the thing is, he is like in his 30s now. Mm-hmm. Whereas they thought no one could be a rock and roller in their 30s. Like that's not possible. You right, can be a yeah. teenager and do it. You can do it in your 20s, but once you're 30, you're ancient correct and and you can't do this pop stuff anymore and so there's probably some of that creeping in you know and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like prog stuff getting huge in in england around this time which is kind of taking sergeant peppers like to the next level and stuff like that and the beatles aren't really doing that anymore so it's like yeah maybe they have been passed by but wait Mm. the stones are starting to come out with killer albums around Mm -hmm. this time right i mean they're doing sticky fingers and exile and goat's head soup it's like well what what about the beatles can't they do any of that stuff well john's done some hard-hitting stuff what about paul so yeah it it may have been a little bit of redemption but you're right i mean i feel like paul's a confident person and he believes in himself Mm -hmm. but you're right i mean the press has probably got to get to you at some point saying they don't love your stuff and has it passed him by right i would say it, it,
2: to me i don't think it would be a, a thing um a question of being confident or you know he knows i can write songs but he's like will they even give me a chance anymore or were they just you know rip everything up and ev- compare everything to what came before and you can't do anything without lennon that was the secret sauce and that's gone this had to once this took off mm-hmm. he had to say you know what i knew i was right i knew i could still do this i'm back baby baby
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure yeah and they didn't tour i think stella came and it was a difficult pregnancy so they didn't tour around that but and, when and he did... was not going to go anywhere
2: without her that was right. that was a well-documented fact he did not go i think what did the, what's the thing they spent one night apart or something and that
0: was when he was in jail no well it was it was was either nine days or eleven days but it was yeah he was in jail in Japan for pot bust because pot is like heroin in Japan like you don't like that's evil drugs you don't do that And so he had enough to be on tour, which had a little weight to it, which means, okay, you're going away forever. And they're like, no, he's Paul McCartney. you got to let him out. But even that like, was like – because Denny Lane obviously is great and did great work on this and other Wings albums. But it was like that led him to wanting to get the hell out of Wings because it's like that just makes it harder for them to tour. They make a ton Mm -hmm. of money in Japan. If he's not going to go to Japan anymore, that's money out of my pocket because I don't get – the record money or at least that much of it right i gotta make money touring and so now you don't want to tour you've just knocked off a huge market for us and by the end of the 70s wings were done and paul went back to being paul mccartney and then yeah he he needed some help from people like michael jackson to to get him back on the charts but as far as this goes this was probably the high point in the 70s for mm-hmm. mccartney as an artist
2: yeah there, i saw the the clip of him getting released from jail and you know of course the press all shows up And he was talking about, oh, you know, I had a little bit of marijuana, and but you're never going to do it again, right? And he just looks at, he's like, oh yeah, no problem, wink. And (laughs) you said you were never going to do it four years ago. Well, you know, what are you going to do? So yeah, it's sure. I'm sure it was a he wasn't going to cause that much trouble. He was just recreational use. But again, yeah, we caught somebody with marijuana. Well, that's illegal. We caught Paul McCartney. Oh, well, let's
0: make a big deal out of this, right? And if you get one joint, okay, they might just slap you on the wrist for that, but he had enough weight for the whole tour. You know, <laughs> Yeah, you should have like, called me at the end. Yeah. So yeah, suddenly it's enough to sell. And then it's like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Now you're a dealer. You're a drug distributor because of the weight. Yeah. Now we have to do something with you. And you know, basically the lawyer's coming. He's like, no, you don't. You let him go. <laughs> he's Paul McCartney. He's obviously, he's not selling it. You know, Correct. he's not doing it to make money. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is for personal use. Thank you. But Hey, I, I love Paul McCartney. I've only seen him once. My wife's actually seen him three times, which is shocking because I've seen everybody more than her. But um, (laughs) I'm just glad that he has continued to do it. And he's still doing it now. He's like playing Mm -hmm. South America either now or early next year. Something like that. He's like 82 years old. I'm like, God bless you, Paul. Keep the rock and roll going. Because obviously I saw the Now and Then video and the documentary. And his voice sounds a little raspy to me. Like he's getting that old man rasp about, Mm. it. you know what I mean? He didn't have that a few years ago and maybe he was just sick or maybe he just had something going on, but he's sounding old to me. So I don't know how much longer he's going to do it. That's our show on Band on the Run as it turns 50. Was it the best post-Beatles, Beatles solo album? Was it Paul McCartney's best work after the Beatles? I guess all of that is debatable, but I definitely believe that it was the album that gave him the most success, certainly in the 70s, really allowed Paul McCartney and Wings to continue and have success throughout the 70s before he went back to just being Paul McCartney in the 80s again. Some great tunes on there, some real classics, some stuff that he has played ever since he released this album. And of course, that title track is classic. Just a great feel-good kind of a song. Like I said, I played it for my nine-year-old, and by the end of the song, she's singing along and smiling and enjoying it. That's just the effect that Paul McCartney has on people with his music, I feel like. It's contagious, and it's fun. And it's joyful. And that's really what Paul puts out into the world. And this might not have been my favorite album growing up or one that I listened to back to front a lot, but certainly the title track is one that we heard quite a bit. And then when you hear it in context with all the other songs from this album, it gives you some perspective on what he was going through at the time and who he was, who he was trying to be as a husband, as a father, as a professional, as a musician, as an artist. And I'm glad that he made it. I'm glad we had the chance to review this one. But we've got to know, as usual, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. Email us. It's uglyamericanwerewolf@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You let us know the bands, the albums, the DVDs, the concerts, the books, the rock properties that you want to hear us talk about. And be sure you download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Hey, if you're thinking about it, guys, you want to do us a favor, give us a Positive and five star review wherever you get your podcast. It just helps us find more rock and roll fans like you, helps us grow the show. And if you really want to find us, track down our store. You can find it from our Twitter or X page at ugly underscore werewolf. Find our store. We've got this great holiday code. 10 number 10 off 2023 that'll save you 10 percent off anything you buy from our store so you need that wolf t-shirt that you always wanted or maybe the wolf mug or thermos those are selling actually really well treat yourself this holiday season use 10 off 2023 at the wolf store And use code UGLY at our sponsor, rarevinyl.com. Get yourself that first edition record or mint condition album that you've always wanted. Maybe get something for your family members or friends, but definitely get something for yourself. Use that code UGLY and save yourself 10%. So thanks to Rare Vinyl for sponsoring us. Thanks to Pantheon Podcast for making us part of the family. And next week, we've got a really cool interview coming up. Actually, a director of a documentary about a prog band that's been around more than 50 years. One of the real creators of prog music started back in the 60s. And this is a documentary about the band over the course of 50 years. I think you're really going to like it. And we're really psyched to be able to talk to the director about that. So you have to tune in for that. But until next time, to all you rockers all around the world, be cool. Be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive.
1: It's NFL draft season,
3: and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.